0: This show is part of the Retrozap.com podcast network.
1: You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious.
2: Hello. And welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your host, Suara Sala. And today... We will be talking crime and politics with audio from Dragon Con. So, Suara, mostly you will be talking crime and politics along with a fantastic panel down in Atlanta, Georgia. Tell us a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, it was a really fantastic panel that I um, was uh, happy to partake in with uh, my friend Thomas Harper and several other really brilliant individuals, Star Wars fans, talking all about the crime and politics of the galaxy far, far away and how could we pass up a chance at getting on that panel, and it was... Was amazing. Dragon Con in general was amazing. I finally got to meet our friends the Sky Talkers, Charlotte and Caitlin, along with others. And cons are the best. Con- I,
2: I haven't been to one in a little while. It's probably been too long since the last time I guess you and I went together to do a Beltway Banthas program. Can Can you tell me is this conversation pretty much all about Java or is there a, <laughs> lot, or is there a lot more to it?
0: Oh, there's a lot more and I can't wait for our listeners to check it out. But I do just want to say that Dragon Con is seriously one of the best cons I've ever been to and it's yeah. so unique with the way it's set up. Have you ever been to one yourself?
2: Been to Dragon Con? Yeah. No, I have not. Uh, I saw CNN's full spread coverage of Dragon Con this time around and it was unlike anything else I had ever seen.
0: It's so unique from any other con I've ever been to because it's not just held in one convention center. It's held in multiple hotels at the same time. The Hilton, the Hyatt, the Marriott, etc. It's called a Dragon Con because it's held in these various cells Mm -hmm. sort of like parts of a dragon or a snake if you will I know those are your favorites sort of spread (laughs) out through Atlanta and it was big there were over 85,000 people in attendance it was so insane it felt overwhelming at times but in a really good way it was a lot of fun yeah but it was also overwhelming in the sense that you're just hit with so much visual stimuli so much information coming at you In the geek space,
2: yeah, that's—I mean—that's why DragonCon. It's—it's big enough where it can actually like accommodate an entire Star Wars track. You know, there's like Mm -hmm. Star Wars at DragonCon. It is an entire thing where that can basically just
0: be all that you do. Exactly. That was organized by Brandy. Uh, If you happen to be listening, thank you so much for your fantastic work and for putting me on—not just the crime and politics panel, but I was also on the fandom toxicity panel, which I'm not sure if we got a recording for. I'll look into that and. It was just a really amazing time and with a lot of wonderful people and Atlanta's a great city and got to make some new friends it's a little
2: hot, but you know I, I like
0: <laughs> I, I I like the heat. I'm you know I'm well, warm-blooded it's, and It's nice to have
2: you me. back in another hot cell of the country, Washington DC. I've Thank not you very actually much. I've not actually seen you in quite some time. Our paths have just have not crossed so Yeah, hey, I've it's just been, been
0: around here, man. Where have you been?
2: <laughs> I have
0: been <laughs> In my pool.
2: Now, it's it's been wild, though. And I'm so glad you got it. And you also brought uh, back my daughter, a Appa toy, which is pretty fantastic from Avatar, The Last Airbender, of which we are now super fans. Um, But before we get to Star Wars, Crime and Politics and the audio from that panel, I think we have a couple things that we need to discuss. Uh, One, which is that. uh, Oh, my God. So the New York Times. Uh, just a couple of hours ago dropped an anonymous op ed titled, "I am part of the Resistance inside the Trump administration An anonymous op ed from someone at the higher rungs of the administration going on the record in op ed form about uh, the the basically the cabal of people within the administration who have committed themselves to stopping donald trump 's worst impulses." Um, at all costs, except for, I guess, going on the record and damaging their own careers in Republican politics. This ignites a lot of feels, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Yeah, I, I just have to say, real quick, I am in favor of the op-ed, the idea of it, which is that it, it really confirms that there is a deep problem uh, in the Oval Office, that we have an incredibly dangerous, unhinged, and very dark, imaginative president who is not invested in the American ideal. Uh, I I think that that has always
0: been clear, to me at least.
2: Same. And this, (laughs) this, this confirms that. But there's a... Problem with the anonymity as well. Yes, feel free to take it away. From e-
0: exactly. If you're going to speak out against the administration, put your name on the record. If you think that what this administration is doing is so wrong, then just go ahead, resign, speak to the public with your face about why we should all be alarmed. What this op-ed was trying to do, and I've already discussed it. It just came out today at the time of our recording. I've already discussed it with a couple of friends. Ultimately, it doesn't. It, it Like you said, Stephen, we've all, basically all known this, like, you know, what's going on in the administration. And it seems like the writer of this, or writers, plural. Mm, it's, yeah, it seemed to almost be plural. It seemed to almost be plural, at least a spokesperson. They were trying to lay off blame off of themselves trying to almost paint themselves as the heroes in this situation, that, oh, we are just keeping the administration from doing their worst impulses. Uh, you know, you should, like, uh, be grateful. I mean, they weren't exactly saying be grateful to us, but they, that was sort of, like, how it out, came yeah, off. I mean, they
2: spelled out some specific ways in which, like, you have seen a difference in Trump's um, instincts versus the outcomes. Basically, with Russia was right. kind of like the one example that they really highlighted, which yeah. was he's incredibly pro-Putin. He would not have thrown out Russian ambassadors if he had complete control of this situation, and you would not have seen um, uh, what's the word? Um, not tariffs, uh, you know, penalties lobbied against uh, Russia. For their 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 crimes and their cyber activity, um, but those things have happened. Sanctions—that's the word I was looking for. Sanctions have happened, anyways, mostly as a result of the mechanisms of the state and of the Congress. And so they were kind of pointing to that and went, you know, look, there are people in the administration who are doing good things that are worthwhile, and we might as well stay here to keep doing those things.
0: But but what's the point of? putting that out there in an anonymous op-ed. I don't understand unless there's something big about to go down or someone's going to leave. I saw a report earlier today that Trump was considering replacing Mattis. And so maybe that's it. But on the whole, I don't really understand the point of issuing this out.
2: I, I'm, I'm not seeing it either. And I think the one thing that for me is the biggest red flag is that for all of the um, value in this piece to basically confirm a lot of people's fears and suspicions about the White House um, is that it it just throws acid on the wound of trust in media on, on Trump's base. And particularly with the right. And,
0: and with the left as well, left, honestly. I it, mean, it,
2: it, it, I've yeah. seen the left mock this roundly. Like the yeah. headline is getting mocked quite roundly. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about that because we have some Star Wars <laughs> parodies that we want to discuss. Well, but I it's mean, also listen, listen we the, know
0: this yeah. is Masa Meta. We know it's Masa Meta who wrote the op-ed. It
2: could be Wolf Lauren. <laughs> or mean, it
0: could be Sly Moore. <gasps> Sly, Sly Moore. Moore. It's her. <laughs> it. Or whatever
2: Slymore is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, wait, so, now that we're off on the track, Wolf Lauren uh, kind of reminds me of John Bolton. Oh, my Now God. that I think about the mustache and the general sort of aura of oh Wolf Ularan. And... I get that John Bolton has always been kind of like, you know, known as being a warmonger, but I also sort of consider him to be a Bushite. And so I'm almost wondering it's, if uh, John Bolton is part <laughs> of this, and what if Wolf Yolaren had written a similar
0: op Was Wolf Lauren that, like, warmongery as no, John no, Bolton? I no, mean, no, but he, he was
2: like a career military guy right. in the Republic service. Um, and he is someone who, at least in my readings... Um, in Star Wars novels, has come across as a guy who kind of just reluctantly moved on to the Empire to go along to get along, because <laughs> he wasn't willing to sacrifice everything, right. and right. actually be in a
0: resistance, but be in the Empire. <laughs> I think it just shows, a different again, the difference between Trump and Palpatine, that our beloved Uncle Palpatine would have never allowed this to happen. He would have forced uh, lightning them out of existence before anything well, like this happened. So
2: one of my favorite reactions to this came from eleven thirty eight, where they be, so Trump of course tweets about the mm. the New York Times op ed, uh, and he just treats treason all caps question yep, mark. I saw that, and so I mean the obvious best response is. You are under the rest my <laughs> lord. <laughs>
1: from eleven thirty. It's treason in. then. Yeah, it's
2: treason <laughs> then. I mean, so this op-ed comes out from people within the the, the state. Yeah. And Trump's reaction is it's treason then. No, but that's he basically
0: even... where his mind is at. But it just I he did it with a question mark. Yeah, you said that. Uh-huh. I just I d I didn't know if he was gonna treat yeah. uh, tweet anything because You can imagine that he must be feeling truly mortified that and under attack by the
2: Bob Woodward book that came out just now. Exactly same time
0: and saying the same things. Talk about the walls closing in. The (laughs) you know, hopefully, I will say you know I think it's pretty obvious that this administration has proven itself to be so insanely irresponsible and so not having the, uh, interest of this nation really at heart, you know, and we've gone back and forth on the left about like, Oh, I would would
2: challenge that they don't have the best, you know, interest of the country at heart
0: as an an administration, as an administration. I guess I'm referring to Trump more specifically, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy at the head of the operation. And it was, you know, like, it's like, we've gone back and forth on the left about, um, Mike Pence, like, you know, stepping in the role as president. Uh And it's like, You know, I stand. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I ten thousand percent stand against like almost everything that Mike Pence like wants to advocate for, wants to go for. But I still also understand that you know, compared to Trump, like he still is a patriot who care, who at least very vocally cares about this nation. Unlike you know the current president we have, so. You know, like it's like I'm sort of like, uh, like it makes about compared to like my fellows on the left. I mean,
2: everything, everything with Trump is is just based around his own personal interests, his his financial investments and where he's my I mean, you saw this this uh, thing the other day that Trump has actually been very soft on the Nike Colin Kaepernick.
1: (laughs) And and a
2: a kind journalist from Axios um, kindly reminded everybody that Nike rents a heck ton of space from Trump. Um for their for their headquarters and There you go. And and, you know, you think about how fickle Trump is and how easy he quickly he will go after people and he really kind of let this Nike one
0: just go because they're tenants. But it also may be (laughs) that the walls are actually closing in on him and he is more scared about a lot of people.
2: And so I mean so I'm just sort of waiting for the red lightsaber to come out and for him to spin over the desk and stab (laughs) who, <laughs> who will be Kit Fisto in this scenario? <laughs> I mean, I have, I have to imagine that it's that it's Bob Mueller I, I, or Jeff Sessions. Yeah, um, Jeff Sessions. Is Wait, you pro- think Jeff,
0: you think Bob Mueller could have written this op-ed?
2: Oh no, 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 no! He's oh, sorry, not part sorry. of the administration. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the 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 analogy mm-hmm. of the Jedi walking in basically subjecting the the chancellor to arrest mm-hmm. is in many ways akin to what people have said about the idea of the deep state um, uh, and that, that right, Donald Trump is right. being undermined by these sort of like shadowy, you know, cloaked figures that have always run the government and that are always around. Um, and there is actually an argument to me that the Jedi mm-hmm. in many ways – were that sort of entity within the Republic, oh and, yeah, and that's what led to their un, their undermine. We talked yeah. about two weeks ago, you know how they Basically fulfilled the biases and the the negative perceptions so of we, the Republic citizens, and then they were they were penalized and, and killed for it.
0: Yeah, we actually talk about this a bit in the crime and politics panel you're about to listen to about the Jedi's role in the Galactic Republic, how they should or shouldn't have been a check on the Chancellor's power, and how you know one of my fellow panelists said that I think it was Michael that um, they lost. No, sorry, it was Matt Rushing who said this uh, that they. Lost themselves uh, from being part of the will of the galaxy, will of the universe' will of the force, and instead yeah. got more mired down in grounded galactic politics, yeah. unfortunately. I mean they
2: they were an institutional part of the republic's government and political life.
0: Yeah.
2: And, you know, it's, it, the, the analogy and sort of the imagery is relatively fitting, you know, where, like, you could just put all these sort of State Department, General, and sort of, like, Washington Swampites uh, Photoshop their heads onto Jedi coming in there and wanting this sort of... You know madman you know autocratic leaning kind of guy out of there, but that 's not exactly how it 's going to happen. However, I do think that in the conservative world and particularly the darker conservative mm. world, that is what they 're going to see a coup like yeah. if Donald Trump goes down by Mueller um, or by his you know his financial dealings, some of the, the things that he 's gotten into in his private life and in New York and in his properties of, in the Middle East, like all of that stuff that is looming over his head. Um, which I think is going to end up being what brings him down, not mm-hmm. any sort of Russian collusion. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you're going to have this perception on the, the the shadowy right that this was an actual coup. Um, like by from Trump space, Yeah, by yeah. the deep state and by people uh, who are sort of institutionalized in Washington. They're going to see Mace Windu and the Jedi walking yeah. in there and trying to kill their president. And I don't think the reaction is going to be good. I, mean, I actually would say that it could be dangerous.
0: Again, I do not understand the impetus for putting this op-ed out if you're not going to come out and fully own it and say that you think— I think this administration is against the interests of our country. That it's go- that this president uh, is childlike and immature in how he handles policy, and I just don't. But do you that. think if we had a name to attach to the op-ed?
2: Yeah. Let's let's say John Bolton. Sure. Or let's. There's even a mention. Um, in a previous piece like this, about Stephen Miller, you know, yeah. who is reviled by the left, and I think for good reason. Um, but if even he were the one to come out and say, like, listen, I have not been signing off on some of this this crap and craziness, yeah. would anyone care then? I don't think they would either. I, if th- it was Trump, I, I think it would, would. It would completely they, fall on deaf ears.
0: I think they still would care. I mean, you're right that it does depend on the nuances of who it would be the one to make that proclaimant, but... I do still think it would be significant to some degree, because if it was someone who was clearly with the president before on a number of policy issues. I think who
2: Sarah Sanders, if it was Sarah Sanders, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm I'm mostly talking about the the right here. So I think I think the left, I I don't think it would make any difference, particularly for for on the left, like who comes out and puts their name on it or if it's anonymous for the left, it basically confirms their beliefs, and for the never-Trump right, it confirms their beliefs. They don't really need a name. Mm-hmm. But for the Trumpy right and people who are bought in on him, I think the only person who it could be that would actually sway them and go, huh, I need to think about this, would be Sarah Sanders.
0: That would be great if it was her, and it did get that give that intended effect. I...
2: I'm not suggesting it is. I'm just sort of throwing out a a hypothetical. I think that's the only person who has the trust of the Trump
0: right. I I think that does make logical sense. But again, put your name on it, even if you're about to head out – whether or not you're about to head out. Just – I guess I – and I think it would have to be Masameda. <laughs> no, I thought we agreed it's Moore.
2: Well, yeah, sly I Moore so I
0: agree. Slymore,
2: sly she's a slippery, slippery gal, she, and she—you
0: might say that she's sly. sly. Yeah,
2: she's a little shady. I don't know if you've seen her eyes and sort of the lack of sunlight that she gets, but I would, I would not put it past Slymore to to write. <laughs> I am a part of the resistance inside the Empire for the Hollow Net <laughs> times on Coruscant, oh but more God. realistically, I think I don't. I think she's a low key member of the Empire's <laughs> higher ranks, or even the Republic's higher ranks. I think Masameda, Ameda, based on kind mm. of Star Wars uh, propaganda that we had read by Pablo Hidalgo, was kind of like a really known public face and yeah. political face.
0: True. I'm just still so <laughs> blown away by the past couple of hours. I just came home, watched some great British Bake Off, the season that Nadia is in on season three on Netflix, and just had my mind off of it, and now... Diving back into the craziness. I,
2: I have to say something. You brought up, you brought up a, a cooking contest show. <laughs> yeah. You're a huge Parks and Rec fan. Yeah. Have you watched Making It?
0: I have not yet. I swear.
2: Suara. oh my God. It's so good. It's really it is good. so good. So, people, I just have to say because I heard this uh, about it on Slate Political Gab mm. Fest um, <laughs> <laughs> in, in somebody's cocktail chatter. Uh, and it is the best show. So if you like politics, Parks and Rec, Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler are hosting a crafting, like Etsy-based show. Do they talk about politics? No, they don't talk oh, okay. about Okay. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't imagine yeah, they, they came, would. They came from Parks and Rec, so you know, they're <laughs> kind of like superstars in politics gotcha. land. Yeah. But it's a crafting and Etsy-based contest show. You know, it's kind of like the cooking contest, yeah. but you're making home crafts, and it is the most wholesome, warm, and pleasant show, and I've never felt more comfortable.
0: We, we need to reunite through cooking and baking and home Goods. That's mm-hmm, what really unites mm-hmm, America. Or Star Wars.
2: <laughs> All right. So, one more thing that we want to talk about, sort of in the orbit of Star Wars, um, is there's some drama going down in Orlando with Disney World uh, and a major vote happening today and tomorrow when this episode comes out by unionized Disney workers who are basically voting on an agreement. Uh, For a $15 minimum wage over the course of three years where it will be incrementally raised to that point. Uh, And there's also in that agreement from Disney a scaling back of full-time jobs and a scaling up of part-time jobs, meaning that people are basically signing on for higher pay and less hours. That's been my read of it. Um, Suara, you wanted to take the first shot at this. How do you feel about this vote? Do you think that this is a fair deal or or something worth voting on how do you feel about what's going on down there
0: I mean it sounds like to me uh, this is really the first time I'm hearing about it that it's in favor of the workers which I'm always here for and you know I've heard stories out of Disney about how work to death like they can be sometimes so I at the moment I think I'm all for it. I'll have to do some more research but you know it's good for the workers in general I'm down (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know how I feel about, you know, (laughs) mandatory minimum wage increases, Mm -hmm. but I I only feel that way if it is mandated by city councils or by state legislatures or federal minimum wages. I, I don't particularly take issue with a company deciding that they want to, to increase their pay. However, I do have a problem with it when it's sort of being driven By Mm -hmm. a political faction, you're being cudgeled by, you know, Bernie Sanders in the New York Times by his op-eds about Disney and sort of acting like it's some sort of like slave show down there. And then you have this company with massive amount of employees uh, working these parks who are now going to have their full-time options reduced uh, and more people are going to be working oh, okay, part more people are going to be working part-time jobs down there so that the union people basically can say we won by getting $15 an hour but what good is that if you get hacked from 40 to 30 hours you know like yeah. there there are trade-offs here and i just don't feel like it's an honest uh, win for anybody. And I feel like Disney is sort of patting themselves on the back right now, like being like, oh, you know, we're part of the resistance. We're going to give everyone 15, the fight for 15 win. But if you're scaling back the hours and sort of retooling the way that the workforce is going to look, I'm not sure how that's good. You're going to have more people working part time jobs and splitting two or three jobs, which we already know a lot of Disney workers work more than one job to survive, which just sort yeah. of makes me wonder why you work at Disney World in the first place. Um that's,
0: well, yeah. Yeah, hopefully they can come to an agreement in the future in which both full time and part time you know benefits increase somehow. I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure I'm not that familiar with like uh the specific intricacies of union uh, politics at disney parks but i'll do some more research pretty
2: rancorous here. i yeah. will say disney unionized workers are getting a thousand dollar bonus this year from republican tax cuts
0: that's only <laughs> temporary you <laughs> know that's well, only temporary
2: well you can't take back a thousand dollars getting <sighs> getting a getting a bonus is not temporary a bonus I is a one-time not- infusion of cash
1: I'm not getting a discussion <laughs> about this. Oh my God.
2: I have one. All wow. right. So the main segment for today is Dragon Con. That's what we're going to be listening to. I did not get to go to Dragon Con. I'm personally bummed out by that. But.
3: Next year. Suara
2: was kind enough to get some audio from it. So Suara, let's you know, roll crime and politics.
0: Yeah. Just also, sorry. We just want to thank our producer, John Liang. Yes, for Thank you, For getting the audio back for us. And. Here we go, my crime and politics panel at DragonCon. Pew, pew.
3: Happy Sunday. Woo! So, I have one last video before we kick things off here. It, this, one, this one, unlike all the Skywalker compilation videos, is actually themed for this panel. Um, despite my best efforts, there are not really any like crime, there's a lot of uh, sort of political. Montages out there. I was hoping for like a Hondo Onaka like compilation video, but no enterprising YouTubers has, have taken that up. So let's watch this real quick and then we'll kick things off.
1: The
3: is not of the Oh. the
4: the yeah. yes, Why is green our ears?
5: down you. So I may be the only actual elected official in the room. So I'm, I love this topic. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: oh. I, I had to come so 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 when I saw so politics. Yeah, so good to see you. That's cool. <laughs>
4: pretty
3: awesome, I it is <laughs> <great>. <laughs> I thought he, he did a great job. This is,
1: this is one of the
3: things that for me makes the
1: reality
0: actually better. It's all of the thematic elements that are happening. When
6: this tragedy has made me
3: The idea of them finding code and then using oh, him to the track. Oh, I God. also I also like
5: the idea that Wolf having actually carried out his order and oh that's heartbreaking. <clears throat>
1: but
5: it also speaks to the idea of redemption, which yeah. is really cool.
3: All right, welcome. So you guys are the brave souls that have, normally I'm saying this this kind of line about brave souls and, you know, how wonderful you guys are for coming out at, at a 10 a.m. panel on Monday, but in recent years, it's bec- like Sunday has become the the epic morning to actually come out and make it to stuff. I always ask this, how many people, this is their very first Dragon Con? Welcome. Woo! That's, wow, that's, a, that's like a quarter or a third. Are you guys having fun so far? Well, well we'll ruin that here. <laughs> <laughs> You'll walk away and never come back for a second. Well welcome. How many people have been to more than three Dragon Cons? Yes. More than five. Wow. More than ten.
1: Woo. Wow.
3: More than fifteen? <laughs> Woo. Those are the, uh, the the Jedi Master Council members there. So if you, if, if you first-timers need any assistance, you know the two people to ask for literally anything. Um, so welcome. This is a topic that we had mashed together with the military last year, and I'm so glad that this got split out. Crime didn't even have its own topic last year, uh, but I think this is phenomenal. It always generates a great discussion. We've got a lot to get through, and so without further ado, I'm going to go through some panelists' introductions. And these are not cued with how you guys are seating. So, Bethany, <laughs> they might. If this works out that it's it's wow. lined up like this, that'd be, oh, be amazing. perfect.
4: Hi guys, uh, I'm Bethany Glanton. I do stuff with StarReport.com, and, and in my real life, I'm an intelligence officer of
3: all right. Well, we have a little jumble, Swara. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, hey guys,
0: my name is Swara Sale. I am one of the co-hosts of Beltway Bandits, the Star Wars and Politics podcast. I'm also one of the hosts of the Flash podcast, which covers CWs of Flash. And in my real life, I'm a data analyst for an NGO that helps city governments use data and performance management strategies better. Hey guys, I'm Brandy Blint. No relation to Bethany, that we know
7: of. Um, I uh, have my master's degree in terrorism and political violence. Um, my thesis was on the relationship between Star Wars and terrorism. In real life, I'm an intelligence specialist for Bank of America. Um, I'm also on the crisis reporting team. So if you bank with Bank of America, you can either feel more secure that I'm out there protecting your money, or you can feel a little bit, you know, anxious. <laughs>
5: Hey, uh, my name is uh, Matt Rushing, and um, I am the co-host of Aggressive Negotiation Star Wars Podcast, as well as the Six Hundred Two Club. And my real life is boring, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
6: my name is Tom Hutchins. Uh, most people know me as Mandalorian Uniter. I'm the founder of Mandalorian Rooks Costume Club. I spent the last twelve years learning about fan politics. So I'm pretty well versed in that. Um, My real life, yeah, it's a little bit boring. I'm a system architect for a regional restaurant chain. I like my Star Wars life
3: a lot better. (laughs) Fan politics isn't on our outline, but it should be. Oh, God. It really, really should be. And I'm your fearless leader, Thomas Harper. Uh, I write blog podcast for a site called The Legal Geeks. If any of you guys saw coverage from San Diego Comic-Con this year, we did a uh, mock court-martial of Poe Dameron, where I sent him off to Ruripente in the Star Trek universe for, for his many crimes. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, a, uh, I'm an Army JAG officer. I, I did seven years on active duty. Uh, this is a little picture from an all-expense-paid vacation to Western Asia. And, and the Army's great. And uh, now I serve on the reserve side uh, as a criminal defense counsel. And since this is my panel, three months ago, we welcomed our own little youngling who is not here. This is Evelyn. I lost the battle in naming her Padme or Leia. But- <laughs> all right, so we're going to warm things up with a little bit of friendly debate. And despite the Galactic Senate being on the background of this slide, I want to turn to crime first, because that's the last topic that we'll get to in this panel. Round Robin, starting with Matt, you get your pick of crime organizations in the galaxy. What are you picking, and why? To join.
5: This is oh man, this is tough. Um, I think that I would probably go with um, Crimson Dawn because I I, I just want to know more about it. You know, I, I I'm, we need more solo movies, so yeah. I, I, and and I don't I don't know if I might. I mean, working for Maul doesn't seem too bad.
3: You know. So, do you get? one of those cool rings that Dryden Voss has. If I don't get one of those, (laughs) that's really the reason to do it. I mean, look at the bling. You've got to mail away, like, five box
5: tops. (laughs) (laughs) Your your special uh, Admiral Akbar cereal,
3: you know? And your oval team.
7: Okay, well, I'm also joining Crimson Dawn, but I have a very solid reason. Whenever I think about Star Wars, I definitely want to be a Jedi, and since that's apparently not happening, I'm going to be, like, Jedi adjacent and, like, work with the Sith. Mm. So, like, Crimson Dawn. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to say
0: the huts. They seem to have longevity as an organization. You took one hut, another one will take their place. So, yeah, go with the hut. And they have planets, like Nar and Tatooine. I think I'd probably
6: pick Black Sun, because Darth Maul wiped out most of their leadership in Clone Wars, so there's lots of advancement opportunities. (laughs)
4: That's job creation for you. That's right.
6: Thank God for Darth Maul.
4: I would probably just work with Hondo and Namika wherever he went, because he, I just like him a lot. He's kind of endeared himself to a lot of us, and he's not as terrifying as the Hudson Mall, so...
3: I, Bethany, I'm with you. I'm joining Hondo's gang. They always seem to be like having a good time, except when they're like infighting and stuff. He has his own pet lizard monkey, and then he fights said lizard monkey against other lizard monkeys in like little monkey knife fights. It just seems like a cool place to do, you know, except when he calls on you to like try to kill some Jedi younglings to get kyber crystals and whatnot. All right, we'll pivot. So last part of the debate, and we'll start down with you, Bethany, and work our way back up. On the government side of things, okay. what's your favorite uh, you know, planetary system of government that, that we've seen in, in the materials? You can go EU if you want to go to that side as well, or Legends, excuse me.
4: Probably Naboo, because their senatorial system and the fact that even though they have a queen, that the queen is elected, uh, I, just, I really like that they're focused on um, sort of a democratic republic. And also it's a pretty place nice to be.
6: i'm probably biased but i'm i'm a bigger fan of the uh, mandalorian meritocracy sort of sort of government there um i mean you know you kind of like you you keep what you kill sort of thing Mm.
3: now are you a new mandalorian or are you uh you in line i'm
6: actually more of a moderate mandalorian (laughs) i see the good in both sides
3: a gray mandalorian
6: basically what brings them i mean that's what really, I mean, that's what wins society anyway when you can see the best and the worst of both sides and use those to craft an objective opinion, so. (laughs) Uh,
1: For
0: for me, it's got to be Alderaan, and I know that's very incidental to that particular planet with its constitutional monarchy, which essentially has, you know, the viceroys and queens becoming the senators for that planet as well, but um, you know, I believe, like, reading in Princess of Alderaan and other material, they did have a sort of parliament, were firm believers in democracy, and uh, I also the sense I got from Princess of Aldrin by Claudia Gray, which everyone should read, uh, was that it. Um they have like, such a uh, strong emphasis on equity, on making sure that they have inclusive economic institutions where everyone can have the opportunity to be uplifted. And Alderaan is just the best. And uh, rest in peace, I'll never be over it. <laughs>
7: so I spent a lot of time thinking about this one. And I think I definitely like Alderaan the best. But I don't think that Naboo is the best option. That was what I kept landing on. Because while I get the whole childlike idea of a 14-year-old monarch, I just if, when I was 14, the only thing that I
3: would want to do was like make it illegal to eat cake for every meal. <laughs> so I just don't think 14-year-olds
7: should hold that kind of power. That sounds
5: like the best government <laughs> I mean, everybody would be... I mean, let them eat cake. You know, so... Um, this is a really tough call because I do think, you know, we don't see a ton of planetary government systems in Star Wars. Like, we don't really get a lot of that. And then, of course, there's the Galactic Senate, which is just a mess. So, um... I, it is between Debu and Alderaan, and I honestly can't make a decision because both planets are gorgeous, and they seem to run really well. Like, the people on them seem to be generally happy and well cared for, and so I think I would probably go with Alderaan, um, even though it gets blown up. Um, <laughs> partly because uh, the the little that we have seen of Alderaan, that place looks like you live in the Swiss Alps, uh, and over the entire planet, and that just seems like the place to be so
3: you say everybody seems happy and then there's Bibble, who's like if he's not on his blood pressure medication i feel like he's just going to melt down into a nervous wreck (laughs) (laughs) all right so you we we talk about uh governing which is a good segue into the first section of our panel here and i want to cut right to it because this is a theme that we come back to again and again and again whether it's the prequel trilogy all the way up to the the sequel trilogy I want to pitch it to you guys. Does a unified system of government work? I mean, again and again, we we see uh, the galaxy try to come together and bring this huge mass of systems together. Is this the right idea?
0: So I actually have a theory that at the end of the sequel trilogy, the way they're going to resolve this conflict is going to be, you know what, this unified system doesn't really work anymore. Whether it's under the Empire, whether it's under the Republic, we're just going to let everyone be independent. We're going to have essentially city-states across the galaxy. And this was a theme in another Claudia Gray novel, y'all should read, Bloodline, uh, in which you had the populist faction, which was led by Leia, that wanted more autonomy for planets, and then the uh, centrist faction, uh, which wanted something more unified and actually took some inspiration from the Empire. I, as I understand, the Republic was initially founded as a sort of uh, trade organization for, to facilitate trade between planets, uh, to have, this, yeah, for, have that economic pos- that prosperity. And, um, but as we've seen like through the Clone Wars, as we've seen into the empire, it's either been too unruly, like for example, under the old Republic and during consolidation under the Clone Wars, it was becoming, you know, like it was Palpatine trying to exercise more and more control to create his new empire. And I'm just like, not sure it's going to work in the long run. As a unified structure, it could still be economic. But in terms of government, I'm not sure.
7: I think that's definitely a like, really good point. Because uh, we see the same thing in like, real life. The EU you know, works really well on like, an economic level. But on like, an international governing level, it, it's just a mess. And when you magnify that across planets, across galaxies, th- those sorts of issues just magnify themselves. Exactly.
5: And I think one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and, and the the idea, the Phantom Menace, I think Obi Wan says it perfectly. He says, you know, um, to the, to the Naboo, uh, and he's t- he's talking to Boss Nass, and he says, you're a symbiont circle, um, and what what happens to one will happen to the other. You know, it's going to affect the other. And what we see at, by the time of the prequels is that the Republic has become this petty, squabbling mess instead of people. Um, truly looking towards how to help one another and better the entire galaxy, which the Republic seems to have done for a very long time. I mean, you think of, about um, how long it's existed. I mean, the Jedi have been in existence for at least two thousand years, if not longer. And then the Republic seems to have been around for you know a thousand generations, if not more. So you have a system that has worked for a very long time, but what has happened? And, and what has caused it to fall has been uh, Palpatine, I think, sowing the seeds of discourse Absolutely. and and selfishness in the galaxy. And the Jedi actually um, falling into that trap as well, becoming, you know, lo- locked into supporting just the Republic yeah. instead of the Force. Um, and I think that's, that's – you put those two things together, and that's why the unified government ends up failing because um, – the Jedi aren't actually outside the system. They're a part of the system. And, you know, um, so, you know, I, why doesn't it work in the other time period? I mean, it just seems like they just repeated the same mistakes that from before. They didn't really learn anything, which is really sad. So, You're sounding like a
3: separatist. <laughs> yeah, Bethany, I want to I bridge off Matt's point specifically in the prequel era. Why is it a big deal? Why is it worth going to war, not, not just a few skirmishes, but an entire war to maintain this government that's, you know, in some ways rotten to the core?
4: And do, you, do you mean the republic's government? or? Correct, yeah. Okay. Well, I think in some ways it was a lack of choice because uh, when, when you're looking at the alternative at the time, which is the separatists, you don't really want to be a part of that unless you already are, because, I mean, even if we look at the separatist leadership, they are barely even worth calling leaders because they are such puppets to the Sith. And that becomes obvious anytime we see them on screen squabbling and arguing and then cowering before um, whatever Sith happens to be telling them what to do.
3: they kind of a crummy life They're just, like, getting shuttled from planet to planet as the previous planet that they were on gets sieged. Tom, I want to uh, throw a question to you specifically about Mandalore and other unaffiliated planets, because we see throughout all the materials that there are planets that don't belong. Whether it's the Republic, uh, the Empire, they're they're just unaffiliated. Um, how do you explain that? How do you square that with this this desire to have everybody unified around Coruscant?
6: Well, I think in all you know, <clears throat> I think if you look at the real world, you know, here that there's a good there's a good uh, explanation for that, and that's you know you're going to have places that want their own neutrality. They don't want to get it you're going to have Switzerland's all over the place you know you're going to want people or you're going to have people that don't want to get involved in that greater war because they feel like what they have is good enough for them you know that it represents them uh, to the fullest and that they don't really want to be involved in that conflict because that conflict doesn't necessarily represent their their culture their belief system you know they feel it's going to be uh, more of a detriment than, than a help um, and I think Mandalore is a really good expression of that because, uh, or at least you know, the, the new Mandalorians, I'll say. Um, because uh, Mandalore itself is still a fairly fractured planet, even though it's, it's being ran by the, the, made, you know, the, the faction of uh, major belief at the time. You still have elements like Death Watch out there, and you still have Mandalorians that live on other planets like you know, Cronus and, and Concordia, Concord Dawn. So they're not all in agreement so it's like why would I want to why would I want to bring my people into a potential conflict that's going to fracture them even more I'll stay neutral
0: and there's such a cultural element in there as well, uh, as we saw with Duchess Satine. She was trying to input this. Uh, She's trying to implant a culture of pacifism where there really wasn't, because Mandalore has always traditionally been such a war-like culture. It has, it has taken such pride in that in that meritocracy as well, like of who could like outdo the other in fighting to become Mandalore. It's right. just a natural them. Well,
5: and I think that that's something that's really interesting because. Uh, teen is actually trying to learn something, you know, from the past. And, and maybe it's an overreaction, but at least she's trying to learn something. And I will push back. I'll say, you know, um, when we see the – we actually see the separatists have a Senate. Um, and, yes, it's led by Dooku. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't follow the parliamentary, parliamentary rules to which the separatists have all agreed on. And Here's so actually, actually they're and, – and the question then becomes why not just let them leave? Like, why are we going to make them stay if they don't want to stay? Wouldn't that maybe make the galaxy better? And don't they maybe have legitimate grievances against the uh, Republic and what's happening? And, and maybe if, you know, the Republic was a little more self-reflective, they could have. But that's, I mean, that's not the point of Star Wars. The point of Star Wars is to say this is what happens when, you know, a uh, a tyranny takes over. Uh, and so I think that's something that's, that's really interesting that there are it, – it's not just – when George said there are heroes on both sides at the beginning of uh, episode three, he meant it, and that the Supersons weren't actually wrong um, per se. But the way everything goes down, I mean, it's just an S show, you know. I mean, it's just it's just a mess because again, you do have a few people behind the scenes. You have one guy behind the scenes pulling every string, and like
3: he's wagging the dog big time, like, you know. And whether it's, you guys make a great point, whether it's cultural or otherwise in its basis, and whether you're talking about unaffiliated systems, Tatooine, Mandalore, or separatist systems, I think there's a grain of feeling separate and apart from Palpatine's influence that this is the government of Coruscant for the core worlds. These are core world values. These are Coruscant values. They govern for, the, for themselves. I think of Ryloth, Ryloth and, and Senator Ornfrey If you look at him, he's just this bloated Twi'lek that looks nothing like any of the other Twi'leks that, that we see elsewhere. And he and Hera's father, Cham Sindula, have this constant back and forth because uh, Ornfrey has epitomized this political rot at the at the core of Coruscant. Cham Sindula's is sitting here on Ryloth like, you don't ever come back here. You don't know what it's like on this planet, and you don't represent us. And I think that's a, a microcosm for a lot of the angst that's within the, the separatist and just with unaffiliated systems. You see that with, with Duchess Satine. They're like, look, we, we've got our own cultural issues that we're trying to take care of. We don't need you imprinting your republic values on us.
4: Well, and I think the republic in some ways, uh, the the trade blockade, which we all know that Palpatine orchestrated, uh, but if, if there had not been a trade blockade or an invasion of Nadu then the Republic may not have had a good enough reason to go to war with the Separatists, And you, you might have seen a Brexit-style situation where, yes, there are tensions, and yes, there's some passive aggressivism in, in the negotiations on both sides, but they might have been let go. However, that was definitely not Lord Sidious's end goal, and that's one reason why he kept pushing Separatist leadership into Um, like being engaged in this war, making sure they're providing materials. uh, Because I I don't think that the separatists would have gone to war, or would have engaged as aggressively as they did if it hadn't been for that pushing and prodding. uh, Because there were heroes on both sides.
3: Would you call it Rexit, then? Like
5: Republic <laughs> Brexit? Well, so that's, but, that's Just one more thing. Sure. That's the thing that I think you put those things together and you see that this is what happens when um, leadership becomes about staying in leadership instead of actually yeah. caring about the people that they're there for. And that's what makes something like Nauvoo or Alderaan places that we look to because they have leadership that actually cares about the people that they're caring for, that they're given care for. And this is the problem of... You know the jedi uh... you know getting to a thousand generations of peace somehow some way they end up um... as you know lackeys of the republic government instead of being the guardians of peace and justice which are ones that are dedicated to the force and not just um... a system of government and when you do that they're not the ones then that are showing the light. They're not being the light of what it means to be selfless. And when you take that away from the galaxy, you will finally get what we get in the prequel trilogy because the Jedi have lost their way in that sense. And that's where that problem comes in. Otherwise, I mean, gosh, thousand generations of peace. That's a very long time. So we're judging the Republic by maybe 100 years, maybe 200 years. We, we don't really know. We don't have that in
0: canon yeah.
5: Yeah, but we, all we know from canon, from Obi-Wan Kenobi, is that the, the Guardians of Peace and Justice, for over a 1,000 generations, the Jedi did their job, and they did it well, and the galaxy prospered, and it got to the point where, you know, I, that's amazing to me. And so you know, we talk about all the problems, but for a long time, the Star Wars galaxy seems to have been one where there weren't as many wars, because... Oh. I, Obi-Wan
3: likes to be a little flexible with facts, yeah. though. So. Like He's like Han Solo at the Kessel Run. He's, like, rounding up to a thousand or
0: something. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, where would be the need for Jedi, then, if it was just generally peaceful? I'm sure that there were conflicts spread throughout the galaxy through all of this millennia otherwise. You know, the Jedi, I'm sure, like, started out as a Purely monastic order dedicated to insight, to meditation, to understanding the wider mysteries of the Force in the universe, but as they tapped into more of their power, and as uh, the dark side was always there with them and you had um, dark force users and Sith arise as well, that's where conflict in the Force and across the galaxy really bred. And I guess what we also need to remember is that the Force and politics of the galaxy, honestly, all of this is so inexorably linked with each other. Our emotions, our thoughts, they all feed into the Force. Just as Yoda says, life creates it, makes it grow. That includes all of us. We're all part of the Force, and the Jedi are meant to be those defenders of relative balance and making sure that there's harmony. And I I agree with you, Matt. I think that they were, in general, far more spread out and on various different planets and were trying to ensure harmony and balance everywhere they could. But as the galaxy started to become more and more unified, they felt that, oh, maybe we should adjust our institution to be go along with this political institution. Maybe they could have used some more political scientists back then at their inception to like <laughs> advise them better that, you know, maybe you should stay a check on the uh, galactic senate and the chancellorship lest you like become a pawn of theirs. I think There's a lot of discussion right now in our current political climate about the role of institutions and how to ensure that we have these checks and balances and maybe you could look at the Jedi as a check on um uh, on the uh sorry chancellorship and senate but at the same time should the Jedi be this political in the first place and it seems to have been jumbled up into this thing of the Jedi themselves you know we're going by their word what is your role what is it that you want to do what do you want to be a political force, or do you want to stay separate and like just focus on the force in the universe and galaxy at large? I think the Jedi themselves were very confused, and it led ultimately to their um, end in order. Well, to I think
5: say. it's it is a natural. It's probably a natural progression for them, and it doesn't feel wrong at the time, you know, to be a part of the Republic and to be part of that system. Um, but what they don't realize is that their their allegiance should not be to any form of political system, it should be to the Force. And exactly. that's yeah. the one mistake that they make. We don't know exactly when that happened. But, I mean, I, I do think that we have to take the canon at its word. And I, I do think that Obi-Wan probably, you know, when you think about this, I was just watching the, re-watching the Clone Wars and, um, uh, this, this year, and the Mortis trilogy, the, the code that they get um, from Mortis is over 2,000 years old. And it's a Jedi code. The Jedi have been around for a very, very long time. And so you know, they make some mistakes in the end. But I think if they had done their job well, if they had not become part of the Republic, we might not have seen what happened with Palpatine. Because I think they would have been more ready for it. Because they're not propping up, again, a, a broken political system. They're there to make sure that there is justice and peace in the galaxy. They're dedicated to those truths that have nothing to do with a political system. And that's where the disconnect comes
3: in. So, And that's where you have Order 66 that gets rid of the Jedi. And then, unbeknownst to many people, Order 67 got rid of all the political scientists. <laughs> Order 68 got rid of all the lawyers, that <laughs> except the ones that agree with Palpatine. Brandy, we talked a lot about uh, conflict. This is not the military panel, but we see a perpetual state of conflict in just in, in every Star Wars movie that we've seen. Is the constant power struggle that manifests itself militarily, is that a product or an, like exhibit A and why uh, the central system of government doesn't work?
7: So focusing more on like the, the Galactic Senate than the Rebel Alliance?
3: Yeah, I mean, if you've got a central power unit, if everybody is, I mean, is, is the fact that we see constant conflict a byproduct of... In fighting over wanting that central power of the galaxy?
7: I definitely think that it is a product of centralized government. Uh, that's something that you definitely see on an international level, you see it on a local level. Um, when you have centralized power, people want that power locally because you have a better understanding of what people need on a local level than you do on a national level. So just thinking about you know, the US, the needs of California are a lot different than the needs of Georgia, um, from like an economic sanctions level, um, from like an agricultural needs level. Uh, so when you definitely, ma- that's another one of those issues, going back to the kind of the EU stuff that I was talking about earlier. Um, when you magnify that from like, a national level to like a galactic level, um, yeah, I definitely think that you-, you wanna pull more of that power back towards yourself Um, That's, like, a natural um, sort of progression in any organization, even, like, in a group of friends. You're always going to want to be the one in charge um, because everyone is governed by self-interest, even the Jedi.
3: I'm going to press the accelerator pedal a little bit. And... (laughs) 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 Epic fail. Bethany, like... We we've seen multiple systems from the Republic to the the New Republic. Why hasn't why haven't any of these worked on a constant basis or a consistent basis?
4: Oh wow! I think if we had the answer to that, the the, the Jedi or the Senate might have figured that out. But <laughs> I, I think that a huge problem that we have is that they haven't learned to balance that unity as the organization gets better with recognizing that each planet, each each state, if you will, if you go back to what Brandy was saying, uh, has the necessary power to make those decisions. I mean, that that's why you have people like the separatists who, for legitimate reasons, uh, wanted to separate from the republic uh, because they, they felt as though their needs weren't getting taken care of or that they were being pulled into things that they didn't want to involve themselves in. And that's really tough because you, you have the principle of sovereignty for each uh, like in, in our real world for each nation, you can't violate the nation's sovereignty for no good reason. Um, and in this case, I think when the republic gets really big and when the empire starts growing and starts doing away with its uh, political representatives that you have a system that is gaining power, and actively seeking more power at the expense of making sure that each planetary system and planet can Still make decisions on a small enough level to take care of themselves um, and I and that's where I think we see uh, planetary politics getting dragged into the overall politics because they realize if they don't get involved and try to influence the overall politics then their planetary needs will be um, sidelined and I think that's what happens with the Jedi too is that as things become more unified like Swaro was saying, like the, the Jedi aren't out there to be like, ooh, we should get into politics now. But more like, uh, they, they start getting dragged into it because um, each of these governments that keeps increasing power are trying to use powerful planets and use powerful orders like the Jedi Order to their own benefit. And then those, those systems, either planetary systems or the Jedi Order, or even some crime syndicates um, get dragged in because they want to try and influence the overarching direction. And so it's like this, this downward spiral of each trying to influence the other, but because they're both going for more power instead of a more appropriate division of power, um, checks and balances, eventually both systems fall to the wayside.
3: So we've talked about Palpatine quite a bit. I want to play. Sorry, I just wanted to add oh, one go more ahead. thing to yeah.
0: Bethany's point. Um, everyone, again, if you haven't read uh, Bloodline, you really need to read it. It really gets to the heart of like what Bethany's talking about about the push and pull between the centralized structure of the galaxy and the independent systems. And another point in Bloodline, sort of slight spoilerish, but not really. But uh, so you have like one of the leaders, or some of the leaders of uh, the centrists, actually take inspiration from the Empire, and they were actually really inspired by the strong unity of the galaxy and the expression of authority under that regime. It seems really terrible. Like, they acknowledge everything terrible that the Empire has done before, but they still look to it as a sort of nostalgic, oh, this is when the galaxy was really unified, this was when it was really powerful, when we really had... uh, you know, real peace in the galaxy instead of like you know maybe what we have now during the sequel trilogy era, and it, I think it just goes to show how power in general, especially when you don't have those checks and balances, can be. It, it always is a corrupting influence. You know, it's that's just inevitable, and we always have to be stalwart against that.
3: I'm glad that you spoke up because that segues perfectly into this quick clip before we talk. We've talked a little bit about Palpatine, but we'll we'll wrap up the politics part. Um, He's got, like, two of the most shady people beside him as he makes that announcement. So... The Suara, you, you talk about this the Palpatine system, and we've talked about him a lot, so we're, we're not going to spend a ton of time because this will turn into just the politics panel. We'll never get to crime. But yes. Palpatine came to power, as you see here, promising a new system of government that was built around law, order, uh, peace through those, those centralized, that centralized power. I mean, you had CompNor... This political organization within the empire that was preaching this new political doctrine of power and strength that would achieve peace. Why does this collapse? Why does it? Why does it immediately breed uh, dissent, like that that culminated in the rebellion? Well, uh, first off, Palpatine
0: is awesome. He's one of my <laughs> idols. I love him. He's <laughs> absolutely incredible. You'll hear me gushing about him all the time on my podcast. But the ultimate reason why his nearly perfect empire ends is like exactly what Leia says in the very first movie. Uh, the more star systems you have in your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Inevitably, there are going to be people who will rise up against the established order, who are going to recognize the corruption, the uh, classism, the um, unfair treat, the, the unfair treatment they're receiving, and especially because uh, so many of these people and you know their children have lived already through the Old Republic, where they had relatively more rights and liberties. Again, they're going to rise up, and you had the seeds planted for the rebellion at the very inception of the Empire. You, it's in the uh, Revenge of the Sith novelization, again, something everyone should read. It adds so much like depth to the movie, which is already great. But um, Padme... Uh, advises Bail Organa, another one of my boys, he's amazing, uh, justice for Bail and Breha, uh, <laughs> like that he, along with Mon, need to stay low but still collect resources and, again, stay stalwart against what Helps is trying to do. And as we see during uh, Star Wars Rebels, you see the arisal of uh, various Rebel cells that eventually join together to create the Rebel Alliance. So again, like back to the start of what I was saying, you're, you're already going to have various systems and groups of people across the galaxy rise up, rec- recognizing uh, the injustices against them. You have some more moderate, like Mon Mothma, then you have some more extreme, like Saw Gerrera, who actually, when you observe like the trajectory of the Rebel Alliance, influenced the rebels to become more aggressive towards the Empire, to actually really take up arms. And, ultimately, uh, that, along with some assistance from the last vestiges of the Jedi, resulted in the Empire's collapse, because, like, they were just too corrupt and rotten from the inside. Another thing that Palpatine did, which I think overall was pretty brilliant to keep himself on top, was have his admirals, generals, and uh, people uh, in general, like, try to outdo each other sort of in competition, so they would never try to take over his position. But I think that also led to the Empire's downfall. You can't have that constant dark side influence. It's ultimately going to destroy itself. So that, combined with the Rebel Alliance, coming I mean, with their Jedi help, results in the Empire's end.
5: Well, that's in Thrawn Alliances. I mean, one of the uh, captains thinks to himself as he sees Thrawn, and he's like, this guy really cares about the people under him. and He's, he's not trying to be the, just the top dog. He's trying to make sure that we're all on top. He doesn't know? just
3: force choke us, when right? We're and so to.
5: The, that idea, um, and and we see that play out through like rebels with callus, realizing what you know. I mean, obviously his name is is who he is. He had become callous, and then that callus gets worn off, and he sees what the empire actually is, which is this awful place that is subjugating people and willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that it is on top. You know, whether that's destroy an entire planet or you know like just rape a civilization, you know, like the Lasats, or, I mean, it's, it's just, so you see that, and then that word gets out to the galaxy, it's going to spread, and so, you know, Palpatine has, has set up his own doom, and that's kind of what makes, um, George so brilliant in that, which is to say, all the way at the beginning, you know, George said, you know, Star Wars is about showing that there's a, there's a good and there's a bad. And that life goes much better most of the time when you, you're you on the side of the good. And, and so, you know, Palpatine has already set up his own doom because he feeds nothing but selfishness, greed, and all that leads is to destruction. You know, and Yoda was completely right. Anger leads to hates, yep.
3: hate. And, you know. So. And speaking of selfishness, greed, not the rebel line, we're going to have to skip the rebels so that we can talk about pure selfishness and greed a little bit of galactic crime tom i want to start with you and specifically talk you brought up the black sun and uh clearly they they played a role as you brought up at the beginning in the shadow collective that we see talk about the role of galactic crime in in palpatine's rise to power he's been sort of a centerpiece in this panel but talk about that relationship for us
6: well, I think you know we see in in Clone Wars probably more than we see in Rebels. But uh, you know we see how um, the Dark Side really influences crime, and I think Palpatine, in, in a lot of ways, sort of uh, grooms these criminal organizations to be more powerful during his time, because um, you know it, it's it's you know, he's basically in control of the black market at that point, you know, and the black market is. The smugglers. That's what's supplying the rebels. That's what's supplying, you know, all these fringe groups as well. So if you can consolidate those criminal organizations and sort of, kind of, be like the shadow, you know, in the shadows of those criminal organizations, and also be running the galaxy, I mean, you're, you're, you're controlling the best of both. You've got the best of both worlds going on at that point. Um, I think that's that is the big reason why criminal organizations. (laughs)
3: Jays. Speaking of criminal organizations. <laughs> yes, right.
6: But I think that's you know that it, it really it really does the empire does the empire more good to have uh, uh, you know some sort of tendrils in these criminal organizations.
3: Brandy, why a huge part of both Solo? I guess we we ultimately find it out at the end, uh, but really at the toward the tail end of the Clone Wars. Is the Shadow Collective Maul's crime syndicate? Given its scale and its size, and and the, certainly the arc that Maul had it on, why does somebody like Palpatine, who's obsessed with power, let an organization like that go on and grow?
7: Well, one thing about like localized crime organizations is that they could perhaps push your agenda on a more local level. Um, I like to think about this, you know, that sort of separation in centralization and. You know that to me could be a def- definitely be a reason. Um, he can't be everywhere at the same time. So that if he has his little henchmen, even if they don't always do exactly what he wants them to do, if he has them on a local level, they can help to push his- push and further his agenda. And then he can also use some of the things that they do to to push his agenda on like a on a more you know galactic level.
5: I mean, there's always going to be two sides. You know, there's always going to be an underworld. And so if you're controlling both, but people don't know that because that's your their plan you know when he says to Maul I still have plans for you you know, that's why he's not dead mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it so fascinating is that he's, he's a Palpatine is a genius you know like in that yeah. sense he controls both sides of the game and people don't realize it but he's the one at the top just cackling away <laughs> you know that's what makes him so great and, and I think um, you know you, you have that power structure then on every level and nobody knows it
0: well, yeah, and it's essentially an easy way to carry on, like, a non-kinetic proxy war. Yeah, setting people against each
3: other to keep himself afloat on top. And he absolutely did that. You saw repeatedly during the, the Clone Wars series, Palpatine gets briefed on, Hey, Maul's back. Hey, Maul <laughs> killed. You know, he's taking, in, taking over crime syndicates and consolidating them. And again and again, whether it's other senators that are briefing him on this, the Jedi, he's like, eh, I don't care about all that. He's, he'll just play along. But uh, and until it finally requires him to get involved and, and go put Maul in prison for a little while until he needs him later. So what changes, if anything, about the shift with the Galactic Empire? Now, we, we talked about Compnor and their new approach to things. Um, how does the Empire use crime to, to maintain their control in the galaxy? Is it any different than what Palpatine was doing in the Republic?
0: Well, the Empire gives itself... A, uh, or a, a propaganda sphere of benevolence and working for the common good obviously that's not what they're doing they may have specific laws and institutions in place but Palpatine and his cronies want you know to uh, for their goals to go to unsavory uh, allies and resources to get what they want so they'll go behind the law. They'll give tacit approval to whether it be the Huts, whether it be Crimson Dawn, whether it be Black Sun, to um, f- facilitate their uh, receiving of resources, um, to maybe help with the slave trade, uh, to work with planets in the Outer Rim, all to keep their hold on galactic power. Because... They can't say any of this publicly. They can't actually make their full goals known. They just say, we're for security and peace in the galaxy. By, for them, it's by any means necessary, but they're not going to let their denizens know that. So they'll turn to the crime networks to usher out their will.
5: Well, and even in Solo, you see, um, you know, the very beginning, you see the White Worms gang and the power that they have over the stormtroopers. They just waltz in and Moloch... You know, basically shoves the stormtrooper aside, like, get out of our way, we're searching. And then they end up helping the White Worms game try to get you know, Kira and Han back. And, of course, they get Kira, and Kira gets sucked into a life of, of crime, trying to stay alive, rising through the ranks. And, and it, so you see the way in which these two work together. And in some places, it seems like you know, the, the gangs have more power than the actual empire. They're the ones doing the pushing around. And Palpatine is just using all of that. And I think that's what makes it kind of fascinating. And honestly, it's, again, it's what makes me want more solo films because that underworld and the way that it all works together with the, the Empire is, you know, and, and the character like Kira, who's just amazing, like, I just want more of that. And it's, it's, it's a great expansion um, to the galaxy because it gives us a whole other faction be excited about to see, because we don't really know all
3: that much about it. So, fast forward to the sequel trilogy, and Bethany, we see in the materials that we have so far that crime has gone nowhere, if anything, it's, it's expanded. The New Republic has obviously shaped itself differently than the Galactic Empire and the original Republic. Are they equipped to deal with this sort of expansion in crime?
4: I mean, they're they're not even equipped to deal with the rise of the first order. So, and that's a direct threat. Uh, much much less criminal organizations, which can be much harder to tie down. Like, and uh, on a panel the other day, Brandy was saying you can't fight like terrorist organizations, and this would apply as well to a lot of the criminal organizations. You can't fight them on a battlefield, like you know, the, the British versus. Their, their enemies of the day, of just like marching out and going to war. And so, this, this is a war that's, that is fought primarily through politics and primarily through non kinetic uh, influence campaigns and through trying to get each planet on board with a good policing system and uh, like politicians who aren't corrupt and can't be bought by crime syndicates. And the Republic is clearly struggling with that.
5: Well and isn't that what the Jedi were for, and the fact that Luke fails in his responsibility to start a new order, as Yoda told him to, which was pass on what you have learned that's that's why the Jedi were around like that was their that was their role, and then you see the the problem in the Clone Wars of them not being there to actually do that job. it just gets worse and worse and worse in the galaxy because they're doing the thing they shouldn't be doing I think
3: you were going to say something. I'm going to say something that
7: may be kind of out in left field, so you may have to stop us because I feel like it's going to start some debate. Um, We've been kind of talking about, like, I was talking about, like, self-motivation. The Jedi seem really self-motivated and in a way they can also be a crime organization. So where is that line between... On what they're doing and pushing their agenda and what these criminal organizations are doing.
3: It's your midichlorian count? No, <laughs> if, if you have a lightsaber, you're...
0: You're, I mean, you're a good guy. I mean, I mean, that's a good point, because, you know, Mace and his fellow Jedi come in and Revenge of the Sith saying, we're going to remove you, you're under arrest... I'm sorry, but Mace, are you technically... I mean, we know you're a general, but are you still technically the police? Does the Constitution of the Republic give you a right to discriminate against Chancellor Palpatine's religious affiliation? Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, like it's like, we... Like, just to say, oh, you're a set And this is something that actually has always bothered me since Revenge of the Sith, like, when I watched it as a kid, like, when I was 14, 15. Um, it, it's like the Jedi... What was your plan here? <laughs> you You can't just go in barging in be take a little uh note from your sit uh like uh, rivals, just be more subtle. <laughs> like you don't have to just say, "Oh, you're under arrest and we're but to the point of like if the Jedi are much better than they, like crime networks, I would say yes. Not simply because the Jedi are quote unquote like, you know, the good guys or sort of the lightside of the Force, but I think for the most part, under the Old Republic, they have um, co signed to the uh, laws and regulations of the Old Republic. That makes them relatively better. That's not a defense of, oh, wait, Thomas, maybe you should do, you
3: and the legal geeks should do a trial for Mace. That would be really cool.
0: Please <laughs> do it. Yeah.
3: So I, I think the, and this will be, we're going to skip bounty hunters and, and go over to the post-imperial politics, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a subtle face right there. <laughs> the, he does not agree with the New Republic structure. <laughs> but they, I, when the, the burden fell on Mon Mothma and the rest of the Alliance High Command to create a system that didn't swing the pendulum back too far the other way, but acknowledged the fact that they don't have the Jedi, that there were problems with having a religious organization be your, your law enforcement mechanism across the galaxy, um, and I think they, they missed the ball on that I, to, to the points that you guys made I, they create a system that is decentralized out of a fear that they don't want another dictator to arise like Palpatine they get rid of their military for, in a, in large part and then they've got no no real structure and so within 30 years of their existence really within 20 years of their existence like we see in Bloodline, you've got real infighting. And I want to touch on that point. The As the Empire fell, as the Battle of Jakku wrapped up... Why did you slide twice? Anyhow, <laughs> this is a fine slide to, to go to. You see some big choices get made by... Led by Mon Mothma that aren't exactly... Uh, in agreement with, with everybody in, in the alliance. Primarily, you see a slashing of the military and this decentralization. Is, Matthew, Matt, I'll put it to you first. I, did Mon Mothma swing and miss on this one?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's foolish um, to, to end a war before it's actually won. I mean, because yes, Chaku has happened, but there are still so many planets, even Coruscant at that point, which is still held by the Empire. Um, that, I mean, you, you have uh, places like Kashyyyk where uh, you, you, Han himself has to go with Chewie to liberate that planet because Mon Mothma not willing to do that. I mean, they're not willing to actually do what they said they were here to do, which was save the galaxy from imperialism and, and bring us back to the Republic. I mean, that was her goal when you see in Rebels. She, she longs to bring back the, the peace and order um, from the Republic when, when it was good. You know when the public republic was was led by people who were truly out for the people they're there to serve, and I think it's it's a massive mistake she makes. And then you just kind of see um, the Re- new republic devolve into petty politics again, and um, and then not paying attention to a war hero like uh, Leia, it it almost feels like uh, in um, the Dark Knight Rises where he's like he's a wartime. Uh, uh, commissioner. We need a peacetime commissioner. What they don't realize is that they're actually still kind of at war and they keep pushing away this this. you know, it's the first order, they're the JV squad, we don't need to worry about them. I mean that is literally what has happened is that they have just pushed aside a problem and, set, and they've ignored it and it becomes this thing that l- destroys quadrillions of people
3: with the snap of a finger. And it doesn't start with them ignoring the first order wholesale. They ignore a crime network. Yeah. And, and you see yeah. this in, in, again, in bloodline. If, if you buy one thing at this convention, I guess it should be that yeah. book, but they, they, <laughs> they, there's evidence that there's this massive crime network led by this Nikto uh, crime boss that's, that's funneling a lot of money. And there are lots of question marks like how does a small time, previously small time guy like this all of a sudden come across millions of mm. credits um, is there something bigger going on? And and they sort of just look the other way until it's forced on them. I want to end. Wait, bef-
0: so, sorry, in Mon Mothma's defense, <laughs> I am a, I love Mon Mothma. I know she <laughs> made a mistake. I acknowledge it. But the galaxy had just gone through like several years of horrendous civil war. Millions, maybe billions of lives were lost, including the Clone Wars. So it's an understandable reaction to try to like demilitarize and to try to like, you know, have the Galactic Concordance, of course, and who could have really predicted Snoke? Am I right? <laughs> I don't know
4: well, I mean, based on recent history, you almost could have, because any time that you have uh, a centralized government that doesn't have um, a military or, because we've talked about power being, like both the, the Republic and the Empire, gain too much power. But in this case, you have a government that is wholesale ignoring significant problems that in the end, because um, they're ignoring these problems, they're actually not allowing planets and politics to run a a healthy course and a course of self-determination. So then you're having political systems that are becoming corrupt because crime has too much power, or political systems that are forced to power before the First Order because they don't have the power to stop them and the, the government is too decentralized and not powerful enough.
3: No one could have predicted that gold robe and those slippers.
4: <laughs> okay, so
3: if you guys have questions, we, we've got about uh, four or five minutes for questions. You can come up front. Come to the mic. <laughs>
0: Uh, just kind of curious as far as uh, for enforcement and everything like that, uh, where the ISB sits as far as because it seems like they're really mission creepy. Um, like ostensibly they're supposed to be policing their own and enforcing compendium and everything like that, but then you've got um, whatever that Callus is doing in Rebels, where he's just like ethnic cleansing planets and yeah. Jedi, and it just seems sort of like what's going on there. Yeah. I mm-hmm. bring up a really good point on Kalos. It's like, I, I really like Kalos and I do like his redundant arc overall, but, and I do like Rebels, but I will personally criticize the glossing over of those, like, really heavy themes. And uh, I really feel like that could have used more, I don't know, writing, fleshing out, uh, to talk about, like, the magnitude of these sorts of issues. And, like, it's not something to be, like, glossed over and, yeah, I, thank you for bringing that up. Well, they, I
5: think they're the, I mean, they're the SS of the Empire, you know. And so, I mean, that's that's what the SS did. I mean, the normal Nazi soldier didn't know what was going on in the concentration true. camps. They had no idea. But, you know, they're all part of this awful cog, and then you have this other group that's secret, you know, and, and it's, so, yeah, the ISB is definitely that. We're going to go rapid fire.
4: Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not 100% certain I got all the details correct on this, but it was my understanding, I guess within Legends, that the Jedi uh, kind of bowed to the Republic because after they'd kind of gone in and uh, killed literally every Sith they could find, that the Republic kind of went, hey, you're really, really, really powerful. And uh, so the Jedi kind of went, hey, yeah, you will be our check and balance. And so. And that seems to have worked for a while, but clearly it eventually kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, an alternative suggestion to that specific kind of bowing to the Republic so that they could have somebody checking over them? As since we see how that eventually devolves?
5: I mean that's tough because in, in you know, in legends, Luke makes the decision not to be a part of the new republic government, which I think is the right decision. Um and, and then really what it has to come down to is that you have to be serving the Force, and that means that you have to be very in tune with it um, and and listening a lot more than action. Um, and that's a, I mean, that's that's the hardest thing. I don't know how the Jedi do that well. Um, I think Legends did a pretty good job with Luke and his New Order. They struggle a lot, but I think they do it pretty well um, as as uh, being a good check on the, the New Republic, but yeah. also even on themselves. I mean, Luke Luke does a great... I, yeah, that Luke is, is amazing. So
0: Yeah, like, uh, while I personally do prefer yeah. canon, what, something I really did per- like in Legends was development of the Jedi Order and them having that confidence mm-hmm. of themselves yeah. to yep. understand what their place is in the galaxy to be right. that check and balance.
5: Well, and they ask those hard questions exactly. to themselves, which is great, you know. <laughs> All right, rapid, rapid fire.
0: <laughs> okay, this is an expanded universe question. If the galaxy knew of the Yuuzhan Vong galactic threat, how do you think they would react to it? Oh, in new canon? No, in oh. expanded oh, okay.
5: Um, I mean it's a it's a shocker to them that they exist. Um, and then they do the best they can. Uh, you know, in in the in the new Jedi Order, they definitely, I mean, they have no idea. So if they knew they existed, would they have? I mean, created another super name. weapon? I don't know.
4: From a military standpoint, you'd, you'd gather intel on the enemy and mm-hmm. rapidly like plus up your military numbers as quickly as possible, because you would realize that it's a potential significant threat. Mm-hmm. You would try to like reach out yeah. and not have a war happen, but you would be immediately preparing for a war, mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Right, Good question.
7: Does it seem ironic to anybody that Leia seems like she has a lot in common with separatists? being influenced by the
0: Sith, but their actual politics of yeah. on the yeah. ground. Yeah. yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. It's like there's a huge element of truth in there, you know, especially the Clone Wars episode, Heroes on Both Sides, yes. where Ahsoka, like, gets to know Separatist along with Padme. It's... There are legitimate grievances. There are legitimate issues that needed to be addressed, but unfortunately, because it was head up by my boy Palpatine, like, uh, <laughs> in power, it... Couldn't be resolved. It was only going to really lead to the empire and corruption.
5: I think that's what makes Padme a fantastic character too. Yes. But the, the fact that she realizes that in the end, and she's trying to have that discussion with Anakin, and Anakin is just too sold out to the Chancellor at that point. I mean, that's his—that's his daddy, really. In a lot of ways, that's—that's that's, that's like his grandfather. So. Um, I, I love her character for realizing that. And the fact that they cut out the, the, the coalition of the 2000, which we kind of get a little bit. I mean, the fact that she was a part of that and basically she's helping format the, the rebellion in the Senate at that point. That's what makes a,
3: her an amazing character. All right. Very, very quickly. And last question. Um, well,
1: I don't
2: know if I have enough time to ask it, but I just want to say I saw you at San Diego Conference. Oh, great. Um, and your
4: closing statement uh, was
3: fired. Thanks. I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to do a drawing. We've got three prize packs to give away. So, Matt. the number. It'll be closest without going over. Price is right, rules. 41. All right, Suara,
2: that was a great panel, man. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for bringing home audio.
0: Thank you. No, again, thanks to John for, get, for uh, getting the recording from Brian Larson of Tashi Station. I love it. I love
2: it. Well, thank you again. Uh, I believe it's time for Bantha Fodder, the segment where Suara and I get to dish on something Star Wars, politics, or otherwise that has been occupying a corner of our mind throughout the week or the past couple of hours, maybe even, uh, and riff on it uninterrupted and unfiltered. Uh, Suara, what is on your mind, my friend?
0: Uh, You know, I've just had... I'm just going to keep it really light. I've had a really great couple of weeks of vacation, and part of why it was so great something I've thought about a lot is that I spent a lot of time off of screens, off of my computer, off of my iPhone, and particularly off of Twitter. I would be out uh, hiking in Seattle or on the beach or just walking around LA where I visited for the first time or being at Dragon Con in my Spider-Man cosplay. I couldn't even use my phone because my gloves wouldn't allow me to. And it was so relieving. It was I saw, I heard uh, on a a Crooked Media podcast, "Keep It" that we uh, spend roughly eleven hours a day on screens, which is an insane amount. And I think I am just getting a lot more conscious of that, of getting myself off of it if I am doing nothing, of just letting my mind wander for a little while. So, just some uh, some advice for our listeners: spend spend more time off of screens, get outside and you know maybe if you want your internet fixed, listen to a podcast on a nice long walk I used to do that a lot I need to do it a lot more and yeah just take care of I think our all of our mental health will do a lot better when we spend more time off the internet and off electronics Stephen what's your fodder?
2: I'm sorry I was just looking at my phone the entire time <laughs> you were talking uh, oh my god did you throw that to me Oh, my God. Gotcha. Um, So I got a book uh, that I really enjoyed uh, for probably about the past two months, and it's left me with a lot to think about. And, you know, just for starters, what if you got in your mailbox every month a check from the federal government? There was no strings attached. It was just flexible cash and infusion into your bank account that you could use uh for your family or for whatever you want for investment, um, for anything that you would like to do. It's no strings attached, you don't have to work for it, nothing. Um this is the question being explored in a new book by Annie Lowry of the Atlantic called Give People Money, um, how a universal basic income could end poverty, revolutionize work, and remake the world. And I have to say it was a really great book. Um, Universal basic income is not something I am naturally inclined to support. It is, yeah. I mean, if if you are a uh, if you grew up conservative, and I think that this is actually also a a pretty you know stark strand on the left's politics as well. Like you are averse um, to to just handing people money for whatever they want to do, particularly when it comes from Uncle Sam and from tax dollars. The left sort of sees a a, a play to try to dismantle the welfare state, and the right sees a play to expand it to everybody. And frankly, I like ideas that aggravate everybody. I tend (laughs) to think that those might actually be good ideas. Um, Lowry covers the bases when it comes to skepticism and excitement about the promise of UBI really well. She travels from Kenya to India to Maine to Silicon Valley as part of an exploration of how different communities who have been piloting UBI and been given a UBI have actually used those. If you're not a fan of the vast and muddled American welfare state, like why not favor Um, A safety net for all Americans in the form of a UBI um, that cuts down on bureaucracy, cuts down on spending, and actually gives people more of their money back, which in theory is what that is. And there was a really great... Um, series of studies highlighted in here in which UBI has been piloted um, in small communities in Africa, in American towns, and it actually meets a lot of the uh, goals that I think everybody has politically, but no one would ever possibly vote for. It's sort of a policy that's completely a political dead end, but I was just left fascinated after reading a full examination of the promise and the, the pitfalls of UBI about what it could be. So, can, you can consider me UBI curious. Um, I am fully aware that there are some some pros and cons, some pretty big ones. Um, but it's a really interesting policy, and if you are on Twitter, I'd love to discuss it more with you. Um, so hit me up, Stephen uh, underscore Kent 89. Let's talk about UBI because I'm, uh, I'm all hyped on this book, Give People Money by Annie Lowry. It's a great read.
0: Very interesting to hear those thoughts about, like, especially how you like to piss off everyone, whether they're left or right. Oh, it
2: pisses off everyone, Yeah, so far.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> It pisses off, like, everybody except for Silicon Valley types. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's – I listened to a, a great interview between uh, Ben Dominich over at The Federalist and then Annie Lowry, the author, and it, they mostly focused on how it's just, like, a political dead end. Um, but you know, I, I, tend to think that there are a lot of good ideas that, uh, are not necessarily popular, but there are also a lot of bad ones. <laughs> so that may not even be a point. Um, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Patreon. Um, we thank you all so much for your support of the show. It makes a huge difference to Swar and I. Um, to have costs covered of this show, and to be able to come in every week and work on stuff for you, you can find our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash. Beltway Banthas, uh, and we would love to have you added to the the list of folks who give uh, to the show at the one dollar, five dollar, and also the ten dollar level. There's a lot of great stuff that you can tap into that Swar and I are revamping right now for patrons of the show. You can hang out with us in web chats. You can get bonus content. You can get audio before other people. You also get some behind-the-scenes video footages of us working on the show and kind of thinking about what we're going to be doing next. Um, And we are just always open to hearing your suggestions and particularly the suggestions of people who are involved on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. So we would love to see you there. That's patreon.com slash Beltway Banthas. Thank you for supporting the mission of this show, which is to break down walls uh, of politics by talking about Star Wars. So our current patrons, we thank you. Connie Shee, Cheston Lee, Isaiah Leslie... Andy Seiner, Brad Tracy, Nick DeColandria, Sarah Smith, B.J. Smith, Jessica Shitara, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sarah Strain, Sean Mahan, Rebecca Diaz, Jason Cassidy. Thank you all for giving to Beltway Banthas, and there are so many more who give at the $1 level, and we thank you so much for making this show just a little bit more achievable for Suara and I, who have just now been doing this now for two years and uh, find so much fulfillment in it. Thank you for making that possible. You can find more from Beltway Banthas on Twitter at Beltway Banthas, and you can also find us on our uh, main website with the RetroZap podcast family, RetroZap.com. Uh, it's a home of a lot of other great pop culture and nerd podcasts. We highly recommend you get involved over there and subscribe to RetroZap. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent89. That's Stephen with a P-H underscore Kent89.
0: You can find me on Twitter at SwarzSeawalker. That's S W A R Z. S-E-A-W-A-L-K-E-R. You can find my other podcast, The Flash Podcast, which reviews every episode of the CW's The Flash TV series, which is on hiatus right now and coming back in October. And you can find some of my blogs on the But Why Though podcast. Our friends uh, over there at But Why Though have a blog with various contributors, including me. So check out my work there.
2: All right, and that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Beltway Banthas. Beltway Banthas, number 60. I am part of the resistance inside the empire. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for an extra long, like hour and a half long episode. This has been a fun one. We'll be back the week after next with more. Until then, may the Force be with you, always.
1: Laugh it up, fuzzball.